Hello, this is AJ Roberts, 15-year British Forces veteran, entrepreneur, high-performance coach and loving father and husband. This podcast is for the motivated, for the inspired, for those looking to level up their lives through fitness, nutrition and their mindset. Welcome to The Best Version of You. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of The Best Version of You. I'm your host, AJ Roberts, and today I have a very, very, very exciting guest on the show, all the way over from the States, Mr. Fred Fryerson, or Fred Fry for short. Now, just to give you a bit of an intro on Freddie, he is a real-life champion. No matter what the uh, arena is, he has one mission, to win that day and ultimately win in life. Now, Freddie Fry's messages are designed to bring out the champion in you as well, not just himself. Now, his story is one of tragedy to triumph. Unfortunately, he had to overcome his mother passing away when he was just four years old. That led to him being in an abusive household with uh, an abusive stepmother. And he went on to be bullied in middle school and unfortunately got dragged into the realm of selling crack cocaine to get by. Freddie was then a single dad of four children by the age of 25. And he then dropped out of college to become a successful business owner a world-renowned hip-hop artist and motivational speaker and is one of the top American basketball coaches in Oklahoma State and is a college graduate. Freddie is a leading expert and one of very few authentic hip-hop motivational speakers that are out there today. And this is mainly in the, um, the education and life wellness arena. Freddie has made it his ultimate goal in life to help students, educators, and everyday people win and become champions in all aspects of their life. The energy, the passion, and the purpose of Freddie's presentation is absolutely second to none. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to the man, the legend himself, <laughs> Mr. Freddie Fry. Freddie, welcome to the show, my man. Man, I'm excited to be here. Appreciate the intro. You put your spin on it. I love the accent, the voice, you know, that, you know, it's lovely. Everything's great, man. We're trying to be the best versions of ourselves today. And that's what the, the hope is that once we finish this podcast, whoever's listening, we help you be a little bit better today than maybe you were tomorrow. That's our thought process. Oh, mate. And your intro is just as good. Let's go. <laughs> oh, wow. And this is exactly what uh, we're trying to achieve here on the, the best version of you and why I'm, I'm very branching out to guys on the other side of the pond uh every there's so many people out there that have got fascinating stories and like the intro said yours is one of uh from tragedy to you know pure triumph and that's something obviously we want to talk about in as uh, as the show progresses uh just how that you know that transition went for you um but let's go let's cast back to when you were a young kid freddie because um obviously did you did you know hip hop was going to be your thing as a, no as a little idea. boy? No, not at all. Didn't have no earthly idea. 
that I was going to, I was actually a shy introverted kid. So I didn't even want to get up and speak to people in class. I, if the teacher called me, I tried to look the other way. So no, I had no idea I would be doing anything with hip hop. So that kind of hit me as a, it was an undercut. I thought I was going to be a basketball player, a football player, and I was a little short, but I, my passion was sports. I love football, I love basketball. That, that's super. And that's usually the case and uh, often the case with a lot of influencers that I talk to who have uh, come from a very introverted childhood um, <laughs> who are now full of confidence and um, rid, rid of uh, that low self-esteem and have gone on to be really successful. Um, so... If you can remember uh, back to that time, obviously, you know, sadly your, your mother passed away and you're in that abusive household. What was that like for you kind of growing up? Did it, is that one of the reasons why you become such an introverted kid because you were just made to feel so small? I, I, I truly believe that. I feel, I feel like, you know, my mom not being there definitely played a role in the person that I was at an early age. And it's so crazy with my mom. And my mom's situation was almost like a freak accident you know uh she i'm in tulsa oklahoma and it's one of the tulsa's the second largest city in oklahoma well but my mom and dad they grew up in a small town called hugo oklahoma very very small my mom got sick just you know random sickness you feel like something ain't right you go to the doctor of course it's going to be not a major hospital you're going to go to some type of clinic but she went to the clinic and she was misdiagnosed. They gave her the wrong diagnosis for whatever her problem was or whatever was ailing her. Oh, and they gave gosh. her the, yeah, yeah, they gave her the wrong medicine. Shit. Yes. Mm. And that medicine ultimately ended up messing up her kidneys. And uh, so the doctors told her that she shouldn't have any kids. And around about that time, she found out that she was pregnant. So she had a choice to make. Doctors and everybody was telling her that she should abort the kid. Of course, since I'm here, she, you, you know that she didn't abort the kid. And so, you know, I, I, it's so crazy because I've, I, I, I've written a lot of songs that, that talk about my mom and talk about a lot of things that happened happen in my life. But uh, I really can't even remember kissing my mom. Okay. You know, I, I remember a few things about the situation. I remember there was a time when I was at my house and my dad was outside working on a motorcycle. And there was a fire that happened inside of the garage, burned my daddy on a lot, a major percent of his body, he had to get skin grafts and all that. My mom grabbed me, brought me back in the house, got me away from it, then put my daddy out. Wow. I put the fire out on my daddy. And then uh, I remember going to, the hosp going to the hospital. I remember the car ride. I remember the last car ride. Going to the hospital when mom's sick. And then the next thing I remember after that was being in a room and watching people, being in a room is basically a funeral. Now I know that, but when I was four, I didn't really realize what it was. I just remember people walking up, taking turns, crying over my mom, going up there saying stuff to my mom. And I just knew my mom wasn't responding. She was just laying there. Wow. And so just like my thought process is why is everybody taking turns, crying over my mom and what's going on? You know, and that's all I that's the only, those are the only three things that I remember that I remember out of that situation. Wow. And so, so, uh, you know, my dad could have let me go stay with my grandma or an auntie or something like that, but he, 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 he uh, manned up and took me in. And, of course, where we come from, we don't really, especially at that time, you don't really necessarily know how to raise a kid. And so the thought process is I'm going to work hard, but I'm going to find a female or a lady 
to kind of raise the kid. And so he ultimately met my stepmom, which wasn't the best choice that he could have made, unfortunately. <laughs> Maybe he didn't know at the time. But uh, she was very mentally abusive. And she was a drug addict, drug addict. She was an alcoholic. And so she was basically, she was a mess. And so she, she really killed my self-esteem. And uh, so I was pretty much quiet and shy and introverted and didn't want to do a whole bunch of speaking at that time. And so, yeah, that, that definitely shaped who I was at that early on in my life. And that's something that we talk about uh, often. Um, people's past uh, shapes, shapes who they are because of the environment that they've been brought up in. Um, I recently done a podcast episode with uh, a chap called Keith, who's a, a fear strategist. So he helps people rid, get rid of their fears and that. And it's one mm. thing that's you know, hugely apparent is that people become the environment that they've grown up in. So, and that's the fears come with that. So mm-hmm. everything you went through is, it, it was kind of always written on the cards, wasn't it? That, yes. that yes. it was going to be like that. So at what yes. point from there, was it a case of like, you, you had to grow up quick and like kind of man up quickly just to sort of like get through that, that mental torture it had been in that abusive sort of household. And um, was it sort of like your teens where you really sort of found sport and? Yes. Well, I, you know, I always played sports. Back then we would play a lot outside and go up to the local football field and play and play basketball. I had a basketball goal in my backyard. So I always found solace in sport. And, you know, and I was pretty good. I was pretty shifty and could play basketball pretty good, had a pretty high basketball IQ. So I always use sport as at that moment in time as my release and I feel like anybody that's dealing with anything in their life you always have to have a release a positive release because sometimes people turn to negative releases like drugs and alcohol or sex or whatever the case it may be that's not something that's really going to help you spiritually deal with whatever you're going through so for Mm. me at the time it was it was sports and uh so got a little bit older middle school I was still shy introverted short now, you know, and I got bullied. I remember one time that uh, the guys chased me through the school. It was after school, and I was walking home. We stayed, we didn't stay too far away from, from the house. That my, I lived pretty close to the school. And so they chased me through the playground, and they got me, caught me. It's three or four of them, and they drug me to a swimming pool which was right across the street. It was, a, it was a local swimming pool. It was closed. And, and they... And they took me into the swimming pool, threw me in the water, and they basically proceeded to try to drown me. Oh, yeah. You know, just holding me up underwater, holding me up in water. And I just, I just knew I was going to die. You know, and this last second they pulled me back up, you know what I mean? And they just took off running, and I'm like, oh, you know, I just, I just, that was just a traumatic experience for me. And so as I got a little bit older, still trying to play basketball, still trying to play sports, I kind of started getting into music. And it, Stumbled up on a group called Run DMC. (laughs) Run DMC. And they had a song called Rockbox. And it just kind of got me into the mindset that I wanted to do music. At first, I was thinking I wanted to be a DJ. Mm. And so I asked my daddy, I was like, Daddy, can you give me some music equipment? I want to learn how to scratch and, and, you know, make mixtapes and things of that nature. So he got me some equipment. 
And so they had came up with a song called, the first song I heard was a song called Rockbox. And I used to always try to find it on this. It was a show called Night Tracks. It used to come on in, in Oklahoma. And it come on about one or two o'clock in the morning, like once a week. And I find myself always trying to be in front of the TV, trying to find that Rockbox video. Because it was hard to find music like that. And so then they came up with that, their album, uh, King of Rock. And they came up with a song called King of Rock. And I was gone. And, and that's when it made me want to start writing raps. Mm. So I would take their raps and I would rewrite them. <laughs> and so people in my friends in the neighborhood, they kind of knew I was in the music. They knew I had the music equipment. They knew I even wrote raps. And so when I got to about the ninth grade, I had a guy named Ernest Walker. And I always say everybody needs an Ernest Walker, somebody in their lives that may believe in them more than they believe in themselves, somebody that will push them to step out of their comfort zone. And that's what this guy did for me. So he came over and he was like, Fred, man, they're having a talent show up at our school. I want to be in it, but I, I, I want somebody to be in it with me. And I'm like, man, what are you asking me? He said, will you be in a talent show with me? It's like, no, I won't be in a talent show. You mean get up in front of people and rap or something? I said, yeah. He's like, man, you know you want to. I said, well, even if I wanted to, I'm not getting up in front of anybody and doing anything. And so they always say that persistence overrides resistance. And I promise you, I, and I can't make this up. I'm not exaggerating. For the next two weeks straight, he came over my house every day and asked me to be in a talent show. <laughs> and about day 14, I don't know if I was just tired. I don't know if something in me was like, you know what? You really do want to do this. Or if it's a fact that he said, stop acting like a little punk. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, man, I do it. Leave me alone. And little did I know, that was the moment. That was the moment. And so I got prepared, wrote my rap, and then it wasn't even the talent show. It was just a tryout for the talent show. Oh, wow. Now, yeah. Now, mind you, when I was in the seventh grade, I had a couple of guys that talked me into trying out for a talent show, but not like with my own rap. We were just lips doing like a, like a lip sync thing over somebody else's. So I was more comfortable. I wasn't comfortable. I, I said, I'll do it. And it was horrible. And I was horrible. And we didn't even make the talent show. So, you know, I was already super scared and super wanting to say no about this one. So the time came just to, just to try out. And they dropped our beat. And I was up there and I took a deep breath. And it was only probably about 20 people in the audience, everybody else that was trying out for the talent show, to me it looked like 20,000. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, call me Mr. Chiller, don't call me at all. Because when I'm on the mic, I'm standing tall. I'm five foot four when I'm talking to you. But when I'm on the mic, I'm seven two, you know? <laughs> That's really <laughs> That's the actual rap I actually said too. What's so funny? The euphoria, something hit me in that moment. Everything in my life changed in that instant in that moment it was like wow i knew that was my gift i knew that's what i needed to share with the world i felt like i was 10 feet tall i felt like a million bucks i was like this is it all my shyness went away the confidence came personality erupted they all know my name and just all the people that used to bully me they stopped bullying me they actually became kind of like my bodyguards they would protect me and I tell people all the time, sometimes you do need to fight back when people are bullying you, but sometimes it's even better when you become somebody. Mm. Because when you become somebody, they can't mess with you. They want to be you. They want to be like you. Yeah, 100%. And so that was the moment for me that changed everything. That, that, that's absolutely... 
brilliant uh remarkable and it's it just goes to show you um like this unique experience that you kind of went through for you personally yes uh, isn't going to happen to everybody no. but but it can happen in many different shapes of form because all you did was you stepped outside that comfort zone Ooh. put yourself in a uncomfortable situation yes and it completely changed your life and that's it and i'm sure you agree and it's i i have this with many of my clients all the time it's have it it's that chronic procrastination and that chronic um lack of will to step outside the comfort zone and go after something that mm-hmm. is going to at first make them uncomfortable but come yes. out the other side a million dollars just like Man. what happens to you and it's not always in the form of standing on the stage right uh, which, which might at that point be one of your greatest fears, like talking in front of people. It could be a whole array of things that's, yes. you know, that scares you as an individual. But sure. just because you show you, but getting out there, taking drastic action. And, drastic action. And dra- yeah, <laughs> drastic action yes. and, and applying yourself. You literally turned yourself what, what, into the best version of you. Yes, I was slowly over, be, that, that was the day. The song. Yes. That was a day that, that started me on the path to becoming the best version of myself. That is so true. So true. And, and is the, at that point then, what, uh, how did your sort of new hip hop lifestyle sort of, so, like, how, how did it like, by the time you left school? Oh, what, wow. What sort of level were you at? Were you was, uh, doing gigs or? We, we were, it was me. Okay. So once, once that happened, right, the guy that I was doing the song with the Ernest Walker guy, he didn't actually become a rapper with me, but all of a sudden people knew that I rapped. I don't even, this is what's so funny, AJ. I don't even remember actually performing at the actual talent show. Actually, I think it never even happened. I think the talent show never even happened, the actual talent show. But what happened was I started rapping at lunchtime. I started rapping after battle rapping other people after football games on Friday nights. And I, I started making a name for myself as, a, as a, one of the local rappers. And so then I met this, met three other guys. Remember now, I thought I was a rapper. I thought I was going to be a DJ at first, right? So it was a guy that lived close to me. And he said, man, I got these other two guys, you know, that one, one is a DJ and one is a rapper. Let's put together a rap group. And the guy that was telling me, he was a beatboxer. So in those days, you needed a DJ, you needed somebody to do the beatbox, that, and you needed rappers. So he was a beatboxer. He could make these incredible sounds like Dougie Fresh. And, uh, and then you had uh, me as a rapper and another guy in there as a rapper. And then you had a DJ. So they all met over my house. And the DJ, who is now my best friend, and we still do music together to this day, his name is Daryl. I thought I was a DJ. So I thought I was a DJ and I thought I was a rapper. So the moral of that story is sometimes you can't do it all. You got to stay in your lane, figure out what you do best and let somebody else do what they do best. So we came over, he had a raggedy turntable, right? And so my scratching was like, digga, 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 you know, regular. This dude, he takes out his raggedy turntable and all of a sudden he's, I'm like, oh my God. I said, hold on. I thought he was from New York or something. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm just, you know, you've been going to school with me for years, so you know I'm from here, you know. <laughs> but he was so good. And then the other guy was a rapper. We created this rap group, and uh, 
we just skyed. And so my mind was always like entrepreneurial, always thinking outside of the box. And so I just started thinking outside of the box, what are other people not doing? And so we became the first, first local local guys to go into the recording studio, first local guys to be on the radio, first local guys to have cassettes and CDs and record stores. And so we became like the pioneers of hip hop in Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, and I was playing basketball. I stopped playing basketball in the 10th grade because I was going to be a rap singer. That was the thing. So it was two sides to me. It was the, it was the, the, the rapper, you know what I mean? The, the celebrity. And then it was the reckless. So at the same time that I'm, I'm trying to rap and trying to build this career, I'm being reckless in my life, you know? And, and the two of the guys that were in our group, they graduated a year before us. And this was right when crack cocaine hit our city, 85, 86, 87. And uh, we were still in school. We still were doing our performing. And, you know, and I was really, I went to one of the lowest performing schools in our state because I grew up in North Tulsa, which in Tulsa is the, good, it's the ghetto, it's the hood. So I grew up in the hood, went to all the lowest performing schools, but I was very bright. And so I, could, I graduated number four in my class without really even trying. I don't even, I don't even remember doing any homework all four years I was in high school. <laughs> it was really simple, really easy. But those guys, when they graduated, they would come over to our house. And all of a sudden they were having money. They would have money. And I, I remember around that time, I was a little bit younger. I used to work for this company called Mid-America Teens. There was a guy that would come by. He would pick a few of us up, and we'd go out into the affluent neighborhoods, and we'd sell candy and candles and different things like that, and we'd make like 75 cents every sale. So we'd have like $15, $20 in our pocket, and that was a lot of money for, for yeah, a boy yeah. kid at that time. Well, these dudes were coming over my house with hundreds, just hundreds, choop, 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 like a thousand. I was like, hold on. Where y'all getting all this money from? And it was so new, they didn't have any shame. We selling drugs. We selling crack. Y'all doing what? Why would y'all be doing that? I would never do that. That was my mindset. That was me and D, which is my best hmm. friend, the Deekster, Daryl. Me and D mindset, we never do that. Why, why would y'all do that? And so, again, had the hip-hop side, had the reckless side. Fast forward, I was dating a young lady. She lived in the projects. Wind up, uh, once I graduated high school, had a kid. I'm broke, trying to do music, trying to make ends meet. And her brother was like, man, I know your two homeboys, they, they got, they, they big in the game, like in the crack game. How, said, how old were you? Uh, how old were you at this point when you had your I first was, child? When I, I was 20 years old, mm. when I had my first kid. Pretty young. 20 years old, yeah. And she was 18. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we were, uh, it, we were not very intelligent. And so we, we reeled off about four more of them in the next four years, too, by the way. Yeah, uh, not very I was reckless, man. I wasn't, I wasn't intelligent. And, and so, but when we had the first one, her brother was like, you know, if you can just get it and give it to me, he said, I know you don't really want to do it because I didn't. I was scared. I had, I had no heart to be a drug dealer. Mm -hmm. And I had no desire to be a drug dealer. But I tell people all the time, sometimes, again, the company that you keep, sometimes it's within arm's reach and you can just reach your arm out and touch it, life sometimes will put you in a place where you find yourself reaching your arm out. And so just that bug he put in, in my ear, if you get it, I'll sell it. So what I became was the middleman. So I would get it from somebody and then I would give it to him. I would tell him how much to bring me back and then I would pay for it. You see what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. And so 
So I'm in the drug game. We're in the projects. I'm out there shooting dice. I'm totally out of my character. I'm from the hood, but I'm really not like a hood cat. Mm. You know, I, I always think that my mom was like my guardian angel, and she kind of protected me from – I never was in a gang. I never wanted to be a hardcore thug. I never wanted to be a gangster. I was just – again, that's probably why I got bullied early on. And thank God for sports and thank God for, for music, for hip-hop, because it kind of saved me. And so I, next thing you know, I find myself in the drug game. I'm selling drugs. Unreal. Unreal. And at, at what point did – was it a specific incident that made you suddenly stop? Yes. Because that's usually that's the case. Yes. Yes, yes. Now, mind you, I never had the heart to be a dope man. But what happened was the guy that I was giving it to, unfortunately, he got addicted to it. He started, oh. yeah, he started, started doing crack cocaine. And so, of course, that killed all your profit. And so I couldn't, I couldn't keep doing that. But I still had access to it. And my kid's mother, her friend, her friend's husband was selling drugs in another project. So I somehow got up enough confidence. Again, I'm scared to death. I have no, I wasn't like, no, I'm going to do this and I'm not worried. I was scared, but I was broke and I had a baby and I allowed that to be an excuse. Sometimes we allow things to be an excuses and there's really never any excuse for doing things that are going to be detrimental to not only you, but your family and those that you're giving it to. The worst excuses are the ones you tell yourself, the ones you yes. make up. Yes, 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 yes. They are, especially when it's something negative or detrimental. And you know, you know right from wrong. Mm. But I was in the hood and I had some, I still had drugs. I still had some crack left. A little bit, not a lot. And I said, okay, you know, let me find a way to, to uh, sell this myself. Because he's not going to be able to do it because he's, he's smoking crack. Yeah. And so we went over to her friend's, friend's house and his, his their house I didn't realize it then, but their house was hot. And what that meant was, is that the police was watching their apartment. They were watching their apartment. They lived in another set of projects. And so we went over there. Somehow me and her, her uh, husband, her friend's husband, left and went somewhere. Now, he had a lot of drugs in the house. I had a little drugs in the house. And the myth was, if the police raid the house, if a female puts the drugs on her, this was the myth, dumb myth. They're not going to search the female. Because I guess they were thinking it was going to be all men there and blah, blah, blah. blah. But, and so, we you still there? Still good? Yeah. And so, uh, so we came back. When you come through the apartments, you can look through like a little, little uh, hole that's through the apartment so you can see their apartment right when you pull in then you drive around you kind of loop around to their apartment and we thought we saw police and our hearts just our hearts just dropped like oh my god did we just see police and you know we kind of slowly crept around the corner and when we got there there were no police and we're like oh thank goodness you know and so we pull up at the apartment and her friend's mom they had twins her friend's mom's mom comes out the door, busts out the door with the two twins, like, they just came, they just took them to jail. They took the two girls to jail. Da, 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 da. Come to find out, my baby's mom, who was pregnant at the time, she got the drugs. She got his drugs and she got my drugs and she put them on her. Oh my she God. Put his, he had about $1,000 worth of drugs. She put it in her pocket. I had about $50. She put it in her bra. 
So we just happened to be in a place called Osage County, which is not, we lived in Tulsa County, but it was Osage County where the apartments were, was. So you had to go to another jail, which was called Pahuska. But the first they have to take you to Tulsa County to book you in before they transfer you there. So they took her to Tulsa County. They found his drugs on her at the scene. They found my drugs in her bra at Tulsa County. Now, her actually doing that actually probably was a blessing in disguise. We didn't know at the time because they knew she wasn't the one selling it. Well, her friend just was told the police that is not, that's not her stuff. It's not my stuff. It's my husband's stuff. It's my husband's drugs. That's his drugs. Not, ain't, we ain't got nothing to do with that, right? So they find a little $50 I had. They throw that case out. So my case basically is gone. They take the drug charges off of her and they put it on him. And this oh, is why, again, another reason why I say that my mom is my guardian angel, because during that whole ordeal, my name never came up. Her husband got five or 10 years in the penitentiary behind that. Wow. And people don't realize sometimes you're so close to disaster and something, the universe, God, whatever it is, keeps you out of harm's way because there's a bigger purpose, a bigger calling on your life. And for me, I knew at that very moment in time, there was a bigger purpose and a bigger calling on my life. And I vowed and I prayed and I was like, God, if you just get me out of this situation, get me, get us out of the situation, I would never sell drugs again and buy and, and I never did. Never touched it, never looked at it. I just used all those stories to empower people to keep themselves out of harm's way. And that's how I got out of selling drugs. It's quite remarkable, really, how the, the human pattern of thinking um, often when they know that they're doing something wrong, um, whether that be selling drugs, um, whether that be taking drugs, you know, uh, you know literally killing your own body. Yes. Um, same, as, same as people who smoke. It's, it's almost like it has to get to the point with them where it, all of a sudden, one instant, bang, you hit you're hit by the bus that's telling you like, right. You need to stop this right now. So right whether now. that's you suddenly get an illness, which is related to something that you've been doing. Uh, it's, it's, it's like the modern human way of thinking like, I'll, well, I'll do it. 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 But then you, it's almost like you get that little tiny bit too greedy mm. and then you get either caught or you keel over. Yes. One or two. And some people don't get again, like he got five to 10 mm. and a so lot of it is lucky. probably no, and I think for me, you know, I think at the end of the day, my heart was always, that wasn't me, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think it was more him. Sometimes you just bow with it and you don't care and you just reckless, even more reckless and you just do whatever, you're just doing it. And I still, I still don't know how my name didn't even come up at all. I still have no earthly idea. I mean, it's just, that's a blessing. It's a blessing. But I know that was something that I died to at that moment. And I know some people relapse. I never relapsed because I never should have been doing it to begin with. That was always going to be a different way for me. After that, I was like, you know what? Hey, I, I'm never doing that again. And I never did. Well, let's just hope that he, uh, the police don't use this uh, video as evidence <laughs> case to, on, on YouTube. Pass the statute of limitations. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was thinking about that. I was talking to somebody one time. I said, "Man, hold on now." <laughs> no, so, uh, no. uh, like, once you once you stepped away from the drugs, it was a very much a case of focusing on the hip hop. Because, uh, like, you went from there to coaching basketball. So, like, how did how did that transition come around? So, basketball hadn't even started yet, right? So, I was still I still had two sides of life. I had the reckless side, 
and I had the hip hop side. And so on the hip hop side, I was studying, I was a student, you know what I mean? We, we, uh, by then I was probably about 22. I had, uh, basically me and, and D had created our own group by that time because the other guys kind of got caught up in that hood and in the, in the, you know, in the game. And so they couldn't keep up with the pace that I was writing raps with. I was, again, I was a very intelligent guy. And so when we went to studios, I would be the first one to jump behind the engineering board. And I'd tell the guy, whoever we were paying, teach me how to do everything. And so he taught me how to do it. And he, he, he trusted me to run the studio. I want you to be an engineer at the studio. So with that gave me free studio time and for us to be able to record, you know, songs. And so and I'm just talking about the hip hop side. I ain't talking about the other side. I'll get mm. back to that too. I'm talking about the hip hop side. I'll get back to the reckless side because this is happening all at the same time. Hip hop side, I started writing and, and came up with some, some uh, we started releasing projects. My first take was called Reality and I didn't really have no money to put it out. So I figured out a way to make my own cassettes. I could go buy them really cheap, clear cassettes. I found a way to go to a printing place and get them to print whatever the information I wanted on it. And I stamped and printed my own cassettes. I would do it myself. And so I put it out, sold it to get, it went to the local record store and we were selling music. You know, people was buying my music and it was like amazing. But at the same time, right after once we got out of once, and this is on the reckless side now, I was still having babies by this lady. So I wound up having four kids. We had four kids by the time I was 25. Wow. Four babies, you know. And so during that time, I'm just getting bigger and bigger as a hip-hop artist. I found a way. I'm actually making a living selling music, selling hip-hop music, because it was still underground, and I created a distribution network with mom-and-pop stores all throughout the United States that I would simply sell them my music. And... And it was crazy because, and for me, I knew that at that time, hip hop was still, it wasn't mainstream. And so us, I, I was a hip hop consumer. So I understood how hip hop enthusiasts and consumers thought. We were going to a mom and pop store probably once a week. And we wanted something that, that was new that nobody else had. And this was happening all across the country. And so whatever, we'd go back, they'd have a little booth, they'd have headphones, you could listen, or they would be playing it overhead sometimes. And so I'll be like, oh, what's new? What's, what is it out that, that's hot that nobody has? Put your headphones on, they play it. It'd be somebody you never heard of. Boom, I like it, I buy it. I understood that. So I got information for as many mom and pop stores, Seattle, Washington, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, Louisville, Kentucky, all over the United States, Denver, Colorado. And I would, I would call. I would cold call that store and be like, hey, you know, I'm such and such. I have a new project out. I'd love to send you a promo copy. And if you like it, I would love to get my product in your store, you know? And so I would send them out and they would call me back. And it was like, man, this is people like this. Can I buy 20 of these off of you? Hmm. Can I buy 15 of these off you? Created a distribution network. Hmm. And so this is before I got a distribution deal. So I was making a living selling these, selling my music. And we were getting a buzz. We were creating a real buzz. And uh, so I was, I was doing hip hop wise, I was doing pretty good. And then we wound up hooking up with this company called Selecto Hits out of Tennessee. They had some big name artists. Uh, one was Three Six Mafia, Eight Ball and MJG. It was some national artists that were on their label when they wanted to sign us. It was like, well, you got two ways you can sign. You can either be a direct artist on our label or you can be and uh, we can give you a pressing and distribution deal where you still run your day to day label. 
I was like, I, I want to do the press and distri distribution under one condition. You allow me to be a di distributor in your network and you send me product where I can sell it. And so we had all of that going. At the same time, I'm having all these kids. Got four kids, three girls and a boy. And I'm living in one place because I'm not with their mom anymore. They're living in the hood, in, in, a worse, in the worst part of the hood than I grew up at. So I get a call out the blue from their mom. And what's so crazy is right before that call came, I would say maybe a week earlier, I woke up, I, I just woke up kind of in a cold sweat. And I just laid in my bed and I just stared at the, at the ceiling because something in me had changed. And I, I could all, all of a sudden, I could see all of the reckless ways I've been living. I could see all the errors. I could see all the poor decisions I've made. It all made sense. And, I, and a lot of times people say it's that, that, that cerebral cortex in your brain in which mm. controls your reasoning. Yeah. And I think mine finally, finally developed because I was like, oh, wow. I understand. Like, it was one thing to be from the hood and have four kids and you know that the mom is going to raise them. So you don't really feel, feel it. Yeah. At the moment in time, I felt it. I felt how driving with no, with, with suspended license. I felt how driving with no insurance. I felt how messing up my credit. I felt, I felt all the things and I knew I was in a depot at 25, 26. I knew I was in a depot and I knew at that moment in time, it was going to take me a long time to get out of it. But the first thing I thought AJ was, I have to gain custody of my children. That was the first thing that, that hit me. And it was like, it scared me. Again, I'm at another place where I'm about to be totally, I got to step out of my comfort zone again. Because single black 25-year-old guys do not raise four kids. <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. normal. Can't say, ever, can't say I've ever met uh, someone in, uh, I, don't, I can't think I've met a single dad here in England who's raised four kids on his own. Yes, yes. But usually, a lot of times, it's because, you know, the mother passed away, they were married. Yeah. You know, it's usually a different circumstance. She calls me, and she's like, you know, could you keep the kids for a little bit? I'm going through a rough patch. And she was. I said, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll get them. I'll get them. I was living in a one-bedroom apartment. I go get my kids, three girls and a boy. And we live, we out there in that one-bedroom apartment. They sleeping on a pallet in the living room. <laughs> uh, she calls me back about a week later. Hey, I'm in a better place. Can you? bring them back. I was like, yes, under one condition. I said, uh, if you call me again, I'm going to gain custody of them. I'm going to keep them. And she was like, whatever. Yeah. Well, okay. Whatever. Just bring it back. Brought them back. Another couple of weeks passes. Her sister calls me. It's like, Fred, you really need to get those kids. They, they're in a bad place over there. They're seeing some bad things. And I was like, oh, okay. Shortly after that, mom calls me again. That mom calls me again. Can you get the kids again for me? I was like, yes, but remember what we talked about. And again, she didn't believe it. You know, again, that doesn't make sense in the hood. Uh, again, a 25-year-old guy's not raising four kids by himself. That's just not normal. It's not going to happen. Well, for me, I already knew. I had, hey, my, I had my epiphany. I was a different guy. I was totally, I was always a good guy, but I was totally a different guy. At that moment in time, once I, once I woke up and, and everything had changed, I was different. I wasn't the same guy. So as soon as I got them, I went and, and went to their school. Three of them went to school. One of them didn't. They were three. My, my youngest was three. They were five, six, seven. That's how old they were. And I went and withdrew them from the school. The wow. teachers were like, 
you know, I went up in there as a, I didn't have no credentials. I didn't have nothing. I just went and withdrew them, which wouldn't happen today, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told them, I said, I'm taking them to another school. And they were like, you're taking them to what school? I told them the name. They were like, that's a really good school. I said, damn, they should do well there. So, boom, did that. I uh, didn't hear from their mom for a while, but I'll tell you this. Shortly after I gained custody of the kids, the guy she was dating got murdered. So I, it made it just it just basically verified that I made the right choice. So she and, calls me back. And everything happens for a reason. Yes. Calls me back about a month later and asks would I bring the kids back. I was like, uh, they don't even go to the same school anymore. I said, you are doing, trying to get your life together. I may not be doing the best, but I'm doing a little bit better at this time than you are. I'm in a better place to be able to take care of them. So I said, let me keep them for a while while you get yourself in order. And this is the craziest thing. You know, most of the time there's a big drawn out custody battle and all that. We never went to court. Mm. Never went to court. And I, and I raised them the rest of the, I raised them the rest of their childhood. Would you say uh, at this point then as a 20, as a 25 year old, yes. Single dad of four people, because although you're 25 years old at this point, would you say that that particular moment in time was where you had you don't have a choice but to grow up, yes, even quicker, um, and try, it almost gets you a peak even quicker uh, because of the newfound responsibility that you suddenly have. Let me tell you. This is what people don't realize about that story. Remember, I told you I was juggling two sides. I had the hip hop side, I had the reckless side. Once the reckless side matured and grew up, the hip hop side stopped. Because in my music at the time, I, most of the time, like if you go back and, and listen to some of my early music, it has profanity in it, but it's typically always had, it always has a message. I'm always, I was always saying something at the end of the song, you always got something out of it. There was always mm. something motivational. It was always we were, we were trying to create, fix a problem, but it was profanity. And so we had just released an album called For the Meal Ticket, me and D. And we basically, in a sense, retired. When I gained custody of my kids, we basically retired a mini retirement from hip hop. And this is the strangest thing about that. We never sat down and said, man, we're not going to do music no more. Just happened. It, one day turned into two and then a week and then a month. And seven years later, we hadn't, I hadn't wrote, I hadn't written a rap. We hadn't released an album. We hadn't did anything with music. I was a single dad. I was raising my kids. I was trying to learn how to do hair at that time. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to do hair. I was trying to figure out how to keep, keep water and lights and gas on and keep a roof over their head. And I just, I stopped rapping. I mean, I was right in the middle of it. We were on the cusp of, of being something, you know, we, we didn't do an album. That's how much. That's how much I grew up. I I grew up. I put my, hey, I put my, I put my big boy pants on. Put my big boy pants on. Crazy. Uh, that's pretty amazing because you know, like it's the same here as it, it, I guess it's the same over there. There's uh, you often hear many stories of you know dads, fathers going the opposite direction. Oh, and, for sure. And not stepping up. You know, run, sort of running away from the problem when the reality is like your kids are you and yes. it's such a young age as well. And, you know, I'm a big believer in that kids won't always do what you say, but they'll always do what you do. Mm, that's and, true. and if you, if you don't set those standards for your kids, like their mother 
didn't and it would have got worse and worse and worse, they would have become a product of the environment that they were in. And well, luckily, you, you took them out of the way that you, when you did, um, or who knows what happened, especially with, uh, with our fella getting, getting murdered. Um, it would have been pretty horrendous. Let me tell you, it's ironic, though, that my dad wound up raising me, but it was because my mom passed away, which gave me a frame of reference of what I didn't want to do. Mm. And I became a single dad, and my dad was, was pretty much a single dad until he brought the, the female into the picture because he worked so much that he wasn't there all the time. But here's the crazy thing, and I tell people, if you, especially if you haven't had children with anybody, it's very, very important to understand who you're mating with. It's very, very important to understand their bloodline. It's very, very important to understand their genes. Because if you and somebody are not on the same wavelength or the same plane, or you don't have the same type of family history, it could really affect your children. Because I feel like I got them, and my youngest, which was three at the time, she had absorbed the least amount of that environment. My older, other, other three, they had absorbed. You don't realize how much a five, six, seven-year-old is absorbing of what they're seeing in their surroundings. And for five, six, seven years, they were seeing so much negativity that it became part of them. Yeah. And so when I gained custody, my mindset was I want to keep them out of harm's way. I want to keep them out of harm's way. Here's the crazy part. As they got older, they did still spend time with their mom, not a whole bunch, but she was so angry with me overall that she went against a lot of the teachings that I was doing. So they had this tug of war going on, which was definitely not healthy. And in the long run, it didn't help. It didn't help them. And so please, having kids with people that are that have a history of being somebody because when you don't you you have though that bloodline that is you have to find a way to to reverse it mm. so don't so be careful with that because I, I i didn't know i was only i was when i met her i was 17 years old so i was just young and dumb and i you know and she was sassy and cute and a lot of times I thought that was cute, and it wasn't, because it was actually who, actually who she was, but worse, when you really get to know her. So when people show you, you who they are, just magnify it by 50. <laughs> magnify it by 50, and that's where you're going to be in a few years, because it was, it was crazy. So, man. Yeah, and it, like, you know, not everybody finds that, uh, that special someone. Um, uh, luckily, luckily for me, I got, I got with my wife, uh, Sam, when she was uh, 16. And, wow. Uh, yeah, we've been married 15 years this year, but she uh, she actually got with me before before I actually joined the army, and then was stayed with me the whole time. The whole time I was in the forces. So yeah, um, it was a pretty pretty uh, remarkable time. It's a remarkable thing she did, but not everybody not everybody's that lucky. Oh yeah, well you know what? I but it's a work in progress, thought. you know. <laughs> it definitely a work in progress. Mm. I I never thought that uh I would get married because I went through so much 
And I had kind of made mindset up that I was just going to, I needed to get myself in order before I tried to bring any female into my life. And that's when I found my wife. That's mm-hmm. when I stumbled up on my wife coaching basketball. And yeah, people, it's so funny because I got married later on in life. And, you know, my wife is wonderful. I mean, she allows me to be who I am. She's trustworthy. She's respectful. But I tell people, I was like, well, how did you know you were going to get married? I said, well, I said, when I met my wife, we used to go to bed. And I used to go to bed and have sports center on. And I said, I woke up one day and I didn't, and I just realized I didn't go to bed with Sports Center on anymore. <laughs> I realized I was brushing my teeth twice a day. I realized all these little things. What, in a sense, she made me a better person. She made me a better person. I was like, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you know uh, us guys, we need to be grounded sometimes, don't we? Yes, yes. And, you know, and, and it's best when they're not trying to – you can't change anybody. But when the change happens and you don't even realize it happens, that's when you have a special person in your life. And that's my wife. So I have to say much love to my wife, Lisa. She's phenomenal. Much love to you, Lisa. You've done, done, <laughs> you done, you done a good job with Freddie. <laughs> we say she done, done good. She done, done good. So uh, let's, let's talk about your basketball because uh, obviously you went from the rap into the basketball. And uh, would you say, um, and this is just from the outside looking in, from raising the four kids on your own, as a father, but not not only as a father, you are being a leader and being a coach because you're raising these four kids on your own and you're trying to show them the right path, to show them the right way, show opening sh- sh- or showing them the right doors to go through, which in essence is what coaching is all about in general. Would you say that that was what led you into getting into coaching, into the basketball? Like part yeah. of, you know, those sort of like transferable skills you get from being a parent. Definitely, but it's with a mini crazy. with a mini basketball team. That's another crazy. With a mini, yeah, I had four kids. I, I yeah. almost had a basketball team, but this is even crazier. This is what AJ. This is crazy. So I had four kids, right? And so at the time when I didn't have custody of my kids, when I was twenty-one, I started dating a young lady that had five kids. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make this up. You can't make this up. Were you in competition with yourself? Oh my. <laughs> It seemed like it. I mean, she was just the coolest person, but she had five kids, bro. And so what happened was I was with her, right? And she, uh, as we got a little bit older, she, her, her son was a little bit older and I started helping him through basketball because I still had the, the fire and the itch to do it. So when I got my kids, I'd already kind of been coaching a little bit, helping his, his school team. And so I got into it coaching boys. And so remember, I said I had three girls and a boy. So I wasn't, I was still dating her, but we weren't living together. So she had five kids. I had four. I had custody of mine. Of course, she had hers. So you catch me at a fun house with nine kids running around looking crazy, you know? <laughs> and so I was coaching the boys, right? And she had a daughter that was the same age as my oldest daughter. So when they got nine, I got some information about a girls' rec league for third graders. That's the grade they were in. Well, her daughter was tall because her dad was like 6'8". Her daughter was tall. My daughter was short, but she was fast. And so I was like, man, let's put together a basketball team. For, let me put together a team for them. I wanted to get them doing something. So I started this team with them. And 
the girls I picked up, they got really good. When those girls graduated college, I had, I had kids that went to Georgetown on that team, Tennessee, UCLA, Baylor, ORU. I mean, I, they were some, they were some of the best basketball players that come out of Oklahoma. But what it did was it got me into really coaching girls because I realized that most of the good guy coaches, they didn't have a desire to coach girls. So now I only coach girls because I tried to instill in them great values, great leadership skills, and teach them how to be great basketball players. And to this day, we go play in front of college coaches and I help them get basketball scholarships. But it oh. all came from me starting a team with my third grade daughter and her third grade daughter. Hmm. Everyone's Everything gotta start. came You gotta start that. somewhere. You gotta start somewhere. And I was, hey, listen to me. I was never the type of guy. I was always into adding value to others and even sometimes to a fault because I was coaching the team and I never charged the parents to coach. I never made them pay for anything. And, and we were really good. We went to an AAU Nationals tournament when they were in the sixth grade in Kingsport, Tennessee, which is about 15 hours away from Oklahoma. We drove. We did it every year, but we were good. We wanted the best. We wanted the top 20 teams in the country. But when they were in the sixth grade, I was so broke, we could not afford I could not afford for us to win another game because it would mean I would have to try to stay another night and not have any more money for another hotel. Wow. Yes. And so I remember those days and I remember just how difficult it was, but I didn't realize that, that God, the universe was preparing me for what my eventual business was going to be because we were playing in tournaments and me and another guy whose daughter was on my team we just started running numbers in tournaments we were playing in. So we would pay a certain amount of money to be in a tournament. Tournament director would have 50 teams in a tournament. Parents would pay to get in the gate. There would be a concession. So he was getting the gate, concession, and our entry fee. And we just sat down and did the numbers. It was like, you know, one day let's start, let's start hosting tournaments. It was so new. There wasn't a lot of people doing it. In our area, there was really only one person doing them. And so we finally decided we were going to start doing basketball tournaments. And so me and another guy, and we could, we had no connections. So we started doing them in some really, really bad neighborhoods in Tulsa at some rec centers, but we started. And so I'll tell you guys, sometimes you just got to get started. It may not be pretty. It may not mm -hmm. be the best, but you have to get started because if you don't get started, it's never going to happen. And I know I'm never going to go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It often starts up here that's that's mm. that's you getting started that's what people don't realize yes yes just, be, just because it's an idea doesn't mean you haven't actually started mm. you started you started by having the idea it's then like you say it's then implementing action in some form yes um, yes you know regardless of what that is and if that involves you failing mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so be it it's not a waste of time it's definitely not. You, you learn how not to do something. Yeah, and, exactly. And so, yeah, like you said, so we actually started when we started crunching his numbers, when we started figuring out the type of money we thought he might be making. That was when it sparked the flame in us. So we started, basically, we just took his model. Sometimes you don't have to necessarily reinvent the wheel, but you do need to give the wheel your flavor. Yeah. Because like you said earlier, when we talked about me, when I started, when I did my rap in the talent show tryout, everybody's epiphany or their aha moment is not going to come like that. It's going to come different because we all have our own walks with life and we all have certain stories and certain gifts and certain things that are going to take us to another level. So we started off, we followed 
that gentleman's exact model. He was doing one tournament a month, every now and again, two. He was picking, we thought in our mind, he had the best dates that everybody wanted to play. So we was like, okay, well, he got the best date and he's the guru right now and we're learning from him. He didn't know we were learning from him, but we were because we played in this tournaments all the time. So let's try to have what we think in our mind are the second best dates that the teams want to play. That's what we did. So two or three years later, I'm still broke. <laughs> I'm running the tournaments once a month, but I'm splitting money. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other little internal issues going on. And so I just sat down and said, said to myself, I was, I was three months behind on my rent and I was a business owner. But it was more of a hustle business because we didn't do it a whole lot. And so I said, you know, I got, I have to, I got to sit down here and I got, to, I got to do this myself. I have some different dreams. Me and my business partner, we kind of on two different wavelengths. We're thinking differently. And so I didn't, I didn't just leave right then. I, I strategized a little bit and I picked the right time, what I perceived to be the right time to do it. And so during that time, I was thinking about how can I, how am I going to do this different? How am I going to do this different? I'm three months behind. We're doing it. We're having tournaments and we're getting teams to play, but we're not generating enough income for it to be profitable. And I'm, I'm dying here. Thank goodness I had a landlord that worked with me. I, I mean, that guy, <laughs> man, Mr. Sigmund, if you ever hear this, I appreciate you. I salute you. I have to call him from time to time and just say thank you because he helped me through some tough times. And sometimes you need another little little help helper, little little God's helper to help you get through tough times too. And if you're doing the right thing, the universe will, will find that person for you. So anyway, so I sat down. I was like, hmm. And if you're a business owner and you're struggling at this moment in time, sometimes you have to figure out the gaps. You have to figure out what problem can you solve and how can you do it in a unique way that other people are not doing. And so that's what I did. I looked at everything we were doing. I said, you know what? Let me stop trying to do this like that other gentleman. What, what problem can I solve? And being a basketball coach and a tournament director, the first thing that hit me was that we typically play tournaments on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Three days two, or Saturday and Sunday. The common denominator was Sunday. People didn't necessarily want to play games on Sunday because church and family time. But we did because we were cultured in basketball, so we knew if we played in the basketball tournament, we were gonna play on Sunday. And so I said, man, if I just do Saturday only tournaments, would that be lucrative? So that was the first thing I thought about. Second thing was, we were trying to pick dates that we thought people wanted to play on. So if you had a basketball team and your friend had a basketball team, we thought, okay, maybe Saturday the 20th, would be the good Saturday or Sunday to have a tournament. So I just told myself, you know what? I'm going to stop trying to figure out when people want to play. I'm just going to have a tournament every Saturday. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it every week. I'm going to make it like, just like, I'm going to make it like a regular job, a regular business. I'm going to have a tournament every Saturday. So at some point, people don't even have to, I don't have to even advertise. They know if you want to play, call me. That was the second thing. Third thing was I wanted to make it like, I want you to be able to have it your way. So I wanted to say, I said, I'm going to attack them with massive customer service. I'm going to be very scheduled request, request friendly. And so that was my goal. And so I went to my business partner. I said, bro, I said, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away. I'm going to respectfully step away. And I'm going to, you can keep everything. You can keep the name. You can keep everything. I'm, I'm stepping away. 
And he was like, man, why are you doing that, man? You don't want to be out there by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. I said, listen, man, I, I can't keep splitting. I'm broke. You know what I mean? And, and, and I'm, I'm behind on my rent. I, I can't keep doing it this way. It's not working. So I said, you go ahead and do you, and I'm going to do me. And sometimes in life, you have to remember to do you. Yep, 100%. Be you, do you. And let me tell you, AJ, when I kicked that off, within six months, everything changed. Everything changed. It hit. I bet, on, I bet on myself, and I hit on my bet. And sometimes you have to bet on you, and you have to think about it, and you have to figure out the gaps and you have to figure out what problem you can solve and you put yourself in a position to hit on your bet and I realized that I made the best decision I hit on my bet within six months everything in my life changed and that was 10 years ago and it's done nothing but grow ever since then because you didn't rest on your laurels no you took drastic action that's yes. the key uh, you you, rec you recognize the gaps like you said you assess the situation yes you didn't, you know, you didn't really panic. You know, a lot of people sort of panic in situations like that. And that's how you can make reckless decisions. True. Uh, especially in business, um, and reckless financial decisions, which, which can cripple you. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite remarkable. And you've hands down on the right thing. You've just taken uh, a very, very intelligent step back, looked at what's going on, what's wrong, what can be, what can, what can be improved, what can be made better, what failures you've had, like lessons learned, all that kind of stuff. And then you've come out on top within the space of six months. But six months is still a six months is still a, a fair period of time. And it's not it's not happened overnight. No, no, no. Uh, None of that stuff is overnight. Uh, uh, you know, for the the viewers and the, the the listeners that are tuned in, it's it's so, if this is a similar situation you're in, you know, Freddie's here in the flesh explaining that once you take that drastic action you've just got to be relentless in your pursuit of personal development within yourself and your business to come out successful on the other side and if you're relentless good things will happen to you there you go and and and, and you persevere and you persevere this is like this is how i take all this stuff and i put it in the rap and i'll say something like i'm living proof homie you can make it through I hope my words sink in like a tattoo. Infiltrate your veins, penetrate your soul, make you dig deep. And I ain't talking cold. I'm talking about the hearts of men when it's on the line. I'm talking about the hearts of women when it's on the line. Are you the type to run and hide when it's time to grind? Never that. We take cover, but we stick together and keep fighting, never lose like Floyd Mayweather. Came a long way. Our time is finally here. They say you want success, you gotta persevere. They say you want success, you gotta persevere, you gotta plan, you gotta strategize, you gotta fail, you gotta re-strategize, revise, plan, execute, and keep grinding until you reach the top. Don't ever stop. That's kind of what I love it. <laughs> I I sneak one in on you every now and again, AJ. Yeah, I, I tell you, I'm I'm my, my as far as my hip hop goes, I'm such an open book. I like pretty much everything we talk about. There's a verse. I've written a verse. That, oh, that's that awesome, mate. Discusses it. Yeah, I, it, I, I hope you're not expecting a, a hip hop rap from your British friend across the pond and his English accent because it's not no. happening. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just going to remember you. So when I want somebody, when I need somebody to speak on one of my songs in that accent, I'm going to call you. AJ, can you, can you, I need some words. I need some of those yeah. words. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no. So uh, no. Uh, so, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, that was going to be my next, uh, my next uh, point. I, um, you, 
talking about voiceovers and um it's actually I, I was just amazed how um when we when we kind of got in touch with each other um and after our conversation that you you were the voiceover behind so many yeah. motiva motivational uh um sort of inspirational videos and yes. uh, soundtracks that have been made that yes. are a big part of like the fearless motivation brand yes and stuff like that you get on youtube and spotify which like hundreds of people will will know what i'm talking about yes and if you well, cast no. your mind back to those uh to those tracks guys like this is the man in the living flesh whose voice you've heard on many many occasions yeah uh, yeah so just briefly tell us a little bit about that uh freddie and how that came around well, let me bring you full, I got to bring you full circle. So we, we, we travel in my life, right? Remember I told you that we stopped doing music at, uh, when I gained custody of my kids. Seven years later, seven years after that, seven, eight years, right? Kids are getting a little bit older. They're starting to get into hip hop. I never let them listen to any of my albums because again, they have profanity. So I get a call from a guy and he says, there's a guy out of Dallas that's trying to get in touch with you. He wants to buy some of your old music. Okay. Again, I'm raising four kids right now. I always need money. <laughs> always. So the guy calls me. He's like, man, yeah. He said, uh, he said, I'm interested in buying an album that you released called For The Meal Ticket. Well, when I gained custody of my kids, we had just released that album called For The Meal Ticket. But we never really promoted it. Pretty much sat on it because I was kind of out of that hip-hop mode. So he said, man, I want to buy... Uh, buy 20 of them off of you. And he said, I'll buy 20 of those CDs off of you for $20 each. $20 each? I said, when I was distributing them, we only got seven, six, six to $8 for each CD. He wanted to buy 20 for 20. Wow. I was like, well, shoot, send me the $400 and I'll send you the CDs. He sent me the 400. I sent him the CDs. Called me back a week later. He said, man, can I get about 20 more of those CDs? I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, he sent me another 400 I sent him 21 CDs week later calls me back true story can't make this stuff up he's like uh, he said I need to get 20 more of those CDs but he said I'm trying to figure out why you have never asked me what I'm doing with your CDs I said well I couldn't figure you doing anything illegal with them and it's really not none of my concern in my opinion he said he said are you by a computer I said yeah early early internet days early he said go to uh can you go to ebay i said yeah i went to ebay put in player 1000 so i put in my rap name which is player 1000 and all of these my ocds were popping up what he was doing was he found out he said man i have an a a, 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 in, a internet basically internet rate uh, record store and i sent out a, li a filler, a list of fillers to all my patrons. And I asked him, what type of uh, CDs did you want? What artists do you want? He said, your name came up almost every time. Player 1000, Player 1000. Turns out we have this huge overseas following in Japan and Germany and UK. They, he was doing seven day auctions on, on our product, on the CDs. And the winning bid was like five to $600 for one CD. Wow. The winning bid was five to $600. Yeah. So if anybody knows about eBay, if you do an auction, you can sell second chance offers to the losing bidders. Well, the losing bidder would be 498, 496, 495, 490. He was taking those 20 CDs and making almost $10,000 on it. Wow. Yeah. And I was like. Clever guy. 
what in the world? I never, I never even knew. I remember getting some calls from people that would be talking in another language. I didn't, I had no idea. But because our deal we thought was just, just for the States, turns out it was international. Mm. And so he was like, the reason why I'm telling you about this, he said, you probably think I'm crazy. is because uh, I know you have to have more out of print stuff that you never released. If you, if you, if we can print some of those CDs up, we can make a lot of money. And it's so crazy because in, when I'm raising those kids, I always, every time that I was in a really tough patch, the universe or something happened to take care of me. In that moment in time, man, we did so much good business. It was like phenomenal. It was such a blessing. But at the same time, it sparked me and D getting back into music. I called D and I said, my kids are getting older. Let's go and clean up some of our old songs. Take all the profanity out of them. I want to do an album where they kind of go along on the journey. And so he was like, cool. We started back. We started cleaning up some of the songs, which meant I started writing songs again. And I was writing a verse and I was like, I'm trying to get you to see right like an optometrist. And it hit me. I was like 2020 vision. I knew when I came back into rapping, it was never going to be any profanity. It was going to be motivational, positive. And so my 2020 vision movement was born. Earlier in life, you can see life clearer. You can have 20-20 vision. The more successful you can be. The clearer you can see life, the more successful you can be. That was what 20-20 vision was. So we released an album. And then I discovered, have you ever heard of Eric Thomas? Yeah, E.T., hip-hop preacher. E.T., I discovered Eric Thomas. Somebody sent me a video of him. And he did the Thank God It's Monday. Well, I was writing again came up with a lyric and I said, uh, climb the hump and make every day a Wednesday, but not like the day of the week, W-I-N-S. I said, man, I'm gonna start doing motivational videos every Wednesday called Make Every Day a Wednesday. And I started recording them, didn't know what the heck I was doing them, wound up hooking up with Eric Thomas. Wow. Now I'm one of his, I'm, I'm part of Eric Thomas's Game Changers program. Matter of fact, in two weeks, I'm going, I'm going to shadow him in Las Vegas at the Strive, it's a Strive conference. Big, big people there. Last year they had Gary V, they had Les Brown, they got yeah. Trent Shelton. I'll be there, be is there it, with E.T. Is, it, uh, is that the one that Cole Hatter organizes? Yes, Cole Hatter. Yeah. Yep, yeah, I'll yeah. be there with E.T. So, so that happened. And so then Fearless Motivation reaches out to me. And they're like, you know, we're looking for a few new voices for our videos. Can you do... Video, some videos for us like this. Sent me a link. I click on the link and it's one of my videos. Wow. I'm like, well, yes, I can do that. And we built a relationship. It's been beautiful. I hooked up with Motivation mm. to Study, Motiversity, a lot of the other big names. And now I do voiceovers and I'm probably the voice of over 100, 200 million views. Yeah, yeah. Social I've, media. I've listened to so it. Was, it, was, it was awesome. But uh, you told me when we first... When we first hooked up, and uh, I was just like, "Wow!" I'd like listen to, I'd listen to your, uh, your playlists, and that when uh, when I've been out on like runs and in the gym. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, f like flexing on the beach. Ah! Uh, yeah, like, it's 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 remarkable, like how uh, you, you know, obviously, like I was speaking to the man himself. It's it's, it's it pretty all, amazing. It all came from that, though, AJ. It all came from. Just going back and cleaning up those, clean up those bad, those, those bad raps, those dirty raps, mm. and it, and just everything happened. And now I'm like a motivational speaker. I'm, I call myself a a life transformation coach, 
And all I try to do is help people be the best versions of themselves and help them yeah. overcome. I'm transparent. And I say it like this. Other people were transparent and it helped me transform. And so now I'm transparent in hopes of helping other people transform. That's amazing. And, and uh, it's great. And this is uh, for me personally, um, I love sort of hanging out, speaking to and um, getting amongst as many like-minded people like yourself who just like ooze that enthusiasm to like, get out there and help other people like become the best versions of themselves. And um, this is like I said before, it's the whole point of the podcast is just to add some value and some, yes. you know, some more golden nuggets to people out there that, um, could, you know, might be suffering mentally or have a lot of social anxiety issues or want that little bit of inspiration to help them pursue their personal development goals. Um, wherever that may be, every single person is different. And, you know, if we can help one person from this podcast, it's, uh, we're, we're winning. And it's, yes. know, I'm sure it's the same when you're up there in front Definitely. of crowds of people, um, I'm sure, you know, if, if one, one person leaves there um, a much better person than when, uh, when they arrived, you know, that, that you're, doing, you're doing your job. That's it. I mean, the, the best I tell I, I coach, I, I still coach, you know, I still do my thing with the, with the, uh, with my basketball players. And I, the only thing, the only joy I get out of, I don't, char, I don't charge them to coach. And I tell mm -hmm. them all the time, my joy comes when you get better. When I, when there's something you couldn't do and I was able to help you be able to do it, that's when I get my joy. And it's the same thing when I get an email or I get, I get, somebody leaves a comment, how you changed my life or how you get, help me get through this, this situation. That's where all of my enjoyment comes from. I want to add as much value to people. I am not money driven. I'm not mm. money driven. I understand that when you do things the right way, the universe and God will conspire to help you get money. And, and, and that's perfect. And that's great. But I am never going to be one that is going to sell his soul to make a dollar. I have plenty of companies send me scripts. I don't use profanity. And that's I don't drink. I don't smoke. And those are things that I that I stand by and I live by. Hmm. And I'm not going to change that for 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 a dollar. It's just not going to happen. That's awesome. Um, just to, to close on a on a positive, deep question. Let's go. Um, I like, I, uh, I've done this with uh, all my guests and I think it's, uh, it's, it's quite good because it sort of like helps you uh, open up a little bit about yourself. Now, we've got a time machine here on this call right now and you can send a letter back in time to 16-year-old Freddie and on the letter you can just put a couple of bullet points that you want 16-year-old Freddie to have a think about uh, for the next few years of his life, which would lead him in a particular direction in a, well, a positive one that you want him to go in. What would those bullet points be? First bullet point would be uh, understand who you're mating with and, and don't have children when you're not ready to have children. Very, very important bullet point. Next bullet point would be take a moment and think before you react in any situation. Work hard to see the bigger picture and be the bigger picture. The last bullet point was, would be, be prepared to step out of your comfort zone. Be prepared to step out of your comfort zone. I think those would be the big three that I would give them. Yeah, and uh, uh, that's pretty, pretty remarkable bullet points there and really, really to the point. And uh, I guess majority of 
the guests I've had on have um, have always touched on the comfort zone side of life because when you're young, you know, there's not many people, like that, young people out there that are very, very confident that will step out there. Right. Um, it, it, and it's because of the environment that brought up in, and especially nowadays when, you know, technology's the way it is at the minute and most people live their life like with a head and a phone and stuff like that. Mm, um, true. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's quite a common thing. Um, can I add one more bullet point to that? Yeah, of course you can. I would tell, I would tell young Freddie to believe in you because you are enough. Yeah. Believe in you well, because I, you are enough. Yeah, I love that. I love yeah. that. So, so many people out there that I really need to realize that like you are not the same as anybody else. Like you, you are you and nobody, yeah. nobody can ever be you and yeah. you can yeah. be, you can never be anybody else. Yeah. And the more people that realize that, you know, the better. Definitely. Definitely. I, I, I tell a lot of my young ladies that play for me, I have one in particular that's really struggling to believe in herself, really struggling with confidence. And I just tell her all the time, you are enough. Mm. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is getting. It will come to you in due time. If you just stay, you stay, stick to the game plan, stay persistent, stay positive and keep working, keep working. I promise you it'll come. Six foot two. She's six foot two. She's wow. going to get a scholarship. She's worried she's not going to get a scholarship. You're going to get a scholarship. You're six foot two. And you're <laughs> athletic. And you have good basketball instinct. Don't worry about what everybody else is getting. She just started late. She started playing later than a lot of the other kids. Mm. So she's, get, she's getting her experience up. Yeah, it's just a case of believing in herself. That's right. That's right. Okay. So I, send her, I send her little motivational quotes every now and again, just a reminder of that. That's awesome, man. So uh, on that note, is it, uh, would you care to leave us with a bit of a motivational rap for the listeners and the viewers out there to finish I, on? Let me see if I can do it. I believe I can do it. I got a few in my bag. Let's go. Let's go. Skipping to the money on some hopscotch. Was low level, now we on some top notch. Topic trend said I had to revamp. I was hiking with them slackers. I had to break camp. <laughs> Catch me on your campus and making capital. Dropping daily diamonds tips are practical. Tactical, my tactics always tactful, impactful, was bashful, but now the place is packed full. And it's me and D Davis on the main stage. Remember, we was broke and in that pain stage, but chose to self-assess and got uncomfortable. Like in the days when I was irresponsible, epiphany happened, call it God's work. Now life is like the lotto, watch them odds work in my favor, cause I made the choice to transform. The Lord had plans for them. I made it through the sandstorm. They want to know. How I got through what I've been through. Tell them I was sinful with swindle. Any soul that came in contact with my personal. But then I made that switch. And now my life is full and purposeful. They wonder why I say it's because I got a why. And that's the reason why this Wally vet is still the guy. I'm guided by the principles of success. And plus my mama watching over so I stay blessed. Life is what you make it. Please believe me. We'd never have to work if it was easy. Roller coaster ride, leave you queasy. Karma come if you're living sleazy. I'm breaded up, guess I'm living cheesy. Transformation. Now I'm living easy and freely and trying to go to the next level. So I need each and every one of you out there to do me a favor. Go be great and elevate. Make every day a Wednesday. Wow. That was amazing. <laughs> Mic drop. Mic drop. Boop. <laughs>
<laughs> wow, man, that was absolutely amazing. Like, what a way to send off the uh, the show. Yes, sir. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. I love it. That's that, you know, for me, it's just being able to when I when I put that pen or that pad, uh, it just I can get so much off my chest. And so I just I want to leave you with just make sure whatever you're going through, have a positive vice, have a positive a release that you can your go-to release that's positive that can help you get through any situation. For me, it was hip hop. So hip hop saved me. Wow, man, that's amazing. Freddie, it's been absolutely yes. amazing to have you on the show. I'm really glad we finally got to sit down and, and record this episode. Yes. And um, you'll be hearing plenty from me. And uh, likewise, uh, I hope that you join me and uh, my other, gu other guys in my Facebook groups and stuff like we'll that. Do. And we'll do interact sure. with as many people as possible, always adding value. Guys, I really hope you took away some really valuable nuggets from this amazing episode with Mr. Freddie Fry. Guys, it's been absolutely amazing. Freddie, thank you for coming, mate. And um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, man, because you're inspiring so many people. It's unbelievable. Thanks so much for having me, AJ. This is a great day to win. Let's go get it. Thank you for coming. And thanks for being the best version of you. Love it.